Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. And welcome to Replay the Point. It is February 14th, and we are here with uh, Pete Zebron, and I am Jared Pine, and we are hoping to talk to Alan Young here in a bit, the CEO of Arizona Sports and Entertainment. Um, but while we wait for him to get on the show, Pete, let's let's open up talking about some of the action going on around the tennis world in, in this week. Um, one of the reasons we want to have him on the show is he's been an instrumental part of getting the Tempe Challenger underway, which is really right in your backyard. Um, and I understand you've been able to get out to that tournament. Give us some of your thoughts on, on what the tournament's been like. What's been your experience at the event? Sure. Thanks, Jared. Absolutely. This is a brand-new event uh, that uh, I I learned when I got to the venue uh, for first day of qualifying on Saturday, Jared, that uh, this this event really wasn't even on the radar, not on the ATP schedule at all uh, as as recently as November. And here we are uh, in Tempe on the campus of Arizona State University with a $75,000 challenger, men's challenger, which is, you know, obviously at the challenger level, this is a pretty big one. And uh, so far, so good. Uh, everything has, has worked out really well. In fact, Brian Early, who is the USTA director of the pro circuit, uh, came out. Uh, he was there on Saturday and gave a big thumbs up with respect to everything that uh, the people in Tempe have been able to do to put this event together. Yeah, absolutely. And they've brought in a lot of big names as far as a Challenger Tour event goes. Um, they've got Stefan Kostloff, the number two seed, Ernesto Escobedo, the number one seed, Michael Mose also in the draw, and Nicolas Jerry came through qualifying. You've had a chance to see some of these guys play. Um, who's, who stood out to you from the field? I really like Nicholas Jerry, uh, Jared, and I know we've talked about him on our Young Guns show before as well. Uh, the big, tall Chilean has a very powerful game. <clears throat> Excuse me, I think he's ranked about 310 or 315 right now, and, you know, the people that were at the at the event watching him play, nobody could really understand. Uh, you know, I heard a couple comments like, well, if there's 310 guys in the world better than him, I, you know, I, I'm having a hard time believing that. Jerry really played exceptionally well in getting through qualifying. I'm a little bummed out because he lost today in the main draw. He played an alternate from Italy, but uh, Jared, had he won that match, we would have had a really nice blockbuster between Nicholas Jerry and the number one seed at the tournament, Ernesto Escobedo. Yeah, Escobedo, the top seed there, would have been a great second-round matchup. Instead, um, Escobedo's draw kind of opens up now, and we could see him potentially make a run here. Um, What kind of expectations do you have from the young American at this event? Well, I hadn't seen him before, Jared, and on Sunday I I did see him practicing. And, you know, I remember you mentioning (coughs) – Excuse me, you being on an adjacent court uh, where you live in Southern California, he, there he is right next to you playing, warming up and, and playing points. And you had mentioned the pop on his racket, just, uh, you know, the acceleration, the, the pop he has on his ball. 
that's exactly what I saw. And, and now, granted, I was, you know, three or four courts over watching a match in front of me. He was on another court, you know, three or four courts away, and yet, you know, that was that was jumping out at me. I was able to keep an eye on Ernesto Escobedo as he warmed up the tournament's number one seed. Yeah, absolutely. And and before we were on the show, you had mentioned you saw Luke Bambridge, a, a qualifier out of Great Britain, someone I'm not particularly familiar with, but he made his way through qualifying, ended up losing in the first round to Alexander Sarkeesian. Um, but what stood out to you about him? I, I really liked his game. I had a chance to talk with him after his second round win on Sunday, Jared. I saw most of his match on Saturday. He played a wild card, uh, Tyler Hockwalt, a, a local from Arizona who made it through the pre-qualifying tournament as a wild card and won that. And so Bambridge won that one, 7-5, And I was asking him really about the the court conditions and whatnot. He said, you know, this is playing a little slower than I would have expected for a North American hard court. Uh, I said, I, I saw most of your match yesterday. He said, well, yeah, I played much better today. But uh, he, he got through the, the Brit that I wasn't really familiar with him as well, Jared, but he did lead – Great Britain to the 2011 Junior Davis Cup Championship. So obviously knows how to play tennis. Uh, tough sled, winning three challenger. Excuse me, winning three wild card. Uh, excuse me, qualifying matches to get into the main draw. But uh, unfortunately for Luke Bambridge, fell short uh, in the main draw today. Yeah, it really is a great draw. You have former world number one junior Nikola Milojevic out of Serbia. You also have a couple. Uh, standout college athletes in Mackenzie McDonald from UCLA and Bradley Klon. Klon lost in the first round as a wild card against number two seed Stefan Kosloff. Um, but nice to see a couple of college players there, and the reason being the ITA, the governing body for college tennis, recently moved over into that area of Arizona. And, and you being from there in Arizona, um, what's it like for you to see the sport growing so much in Arizona? What do you think the cause of this is, and what's kind of the future of tennis in the state of Arizona? Well, that's a great question, and I learned quite a bit uh, to be able to answer those questions, Jared, over the weekend. Uh, you're right, the the international, uh, excuse me, intercollegiate tennis association moved from New Jersey to Tempe, Arizona. You could actually see the building uh, where they're housed uh, very close, uh, not quite a stone's throw or a golf drive away, but uh, very close. Uh, you can walk it from uh, from the Whiteman Tennis Center at Arizona State University to where the Intercollegiate Tennis Association is. Uh, a lot of things happening here at ASU. Um, men's tennis, uh, which was a casualty uh, a while back from Title IX, is back, Jared. Uh, it, I really think the fact that uh, – the ITA moved to Tempe. It, it made all the sense in the world, obviously, to have the the adjacent school having a men's tennis program once again. And I had a chance to talk with brand-new Arizona State University coach Matt Hill, uh, who came over from the University of South Florida, Jared. Uh, I had a chance to talk with him. He played his college tennis at Ferris State University in the state of Michigan. And uh, it was nice because uh, I think three or four of his guys actually were wild-carded into the qualifying draw uh, there's a nice guy thomas wright out of england that i i'll tell you what his backhand really reminded me of cole schreiber it looked that good he lost uh, his first match in qualifying but it was a pleasure to watch him play very determined nice to let nice to see him let it rip and um, getting back to your point this is the first men's tennis tournament we've had in the state since the Tennis Channel Open left the Scottsdale Princess in 2005. 
and move to Las Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we're on this show uh, hoping to be able to talk to Alan Young. Uh, still working through that right now, see if we can get him on the show in, in this episode. Um, but I want to be able to talk with you, Pete, about some of the events that happened last week. But before we go there, uh, anything else you want to mention about the event in Tempe? Sure. Well, I, you know, I had always, uh, we, we, we had for a while there, Jared, I mentioned the Tennis Channel Open. That was uh, in Scottsdale. Uh, I had a chance to talk to Gary Knees, the tournament director, who will be a guest on this show going forward as well. But Gary was very involved in, in tennis in the state of Arizona. In fact, um, we, we were reminiscing a little bit back in 1986, the very first year of the Scottsdale tournament. John McEnroe came out and played that tournament and uh, and won it. Uh, it was only it was played at one year at the old now defunct Radisson Resort in Scottsdale on Indian Bend Road. That's now a, a different development. But the, the Scottsdale Fairmount Princess was not yet built in, uh, in its entirety, so they sort of, as he said, had a makeshift court to host the tournament. Uh, imagine John McEnroe winning a makeshift on a makeshift tennis court in in 1986, Jared. Uh, you know, he'd obviously won Wimbledon by then more than a few times. But um, uh, interesting to hear the history of that uh, from, from Gary, the tournament director. We also had a women's tournament for three years, and Gary and I were talking a little bit about that. Uh, here's one of the more remarkable feats that you'll ever hear, Jared. Ai Sugiyama from Japan. Um, we were cursed with weather uh, in the month of February, the second to the last year of the women's tournament. Aisugiyama won four matches in one day. She won a single semifinal and final. She won a double semifinal and final. She partnered with Kim Kleisters to win the doubles final and beat Kim Kleisters in the singles final. Four matches won for Aisugiyama. Uh The history of that women's tournament, it only lasted three years before Dubai purchased it. And one thing that I learned, Jared, about the Scottsdale Tennis Channel Open I was under, always under the impression, much like everybody here, that um, that tournament, that, that the Fairmount Princess no longer wanted to host that. But Gary Neese corrected me on that and said, nope, a guy by the name of Andre Agassi bought the tournament and decided to move it to Las Vegas. I said, well, okay, I, I, have, I was not aware of that. Uh, he said, that's exactly what happened. So uh, learned quite a bit about the history of, of tennis, particularly men's tennis in the state of Arizona over the weekend. Absolutely. That's great stuff. And um, as you mentioned earlier, hoping to get Alan Young onto the show. Not sure if that's going to be able to work out tonight. Um, but let's move on to some of the results that happened last week. Uh, a big result. I want to stop, start with the biggest one. Alexander Zverev wins Montpellier, wins also doubles with his brother, Mishka Zverev. He beat Richard Gasquet in the final um, Pete, what are your thoughts on Alexander Zverev's season so far? He obviously had a great Australian Open, played extremely well, uh, performed well against Nadal, didn't end up getting that win. Uh, then he struggles to back that up at Davis Cup, had uh, some disappointing results there, but really turned it around at this event in France. The 250 wins the singles title and the doubles title. Um, what do you make of Zverev at this point? Well, um, number one, I'm happy for him uh, with with his results in in France, Jared. Uh, the fact uh, that again, I, I think that he's finally put to bed the uh, the result uh, that he did not achieve against Rafael Nadal at the Australian Open. That that was a tough one for him. 
Davis Cup, I, I kind of have to put an asterisk next to that. Here's a youngster representing Germany uh, in, in Germany and uh, did not fare well at all. It's a lot of pressure. I, you know, we had guests on this show before, and I forgot who it was who said, you know, Federer will tell you, will tell you that, you know, playing a Wimbledon finals like having tea compared to representing Switzerland in Davis Cup, it's it's that difficult of of an ask of a task. So I think you know, given the fact that we've talked a lot on the show about Davis Cup and uh, the privilege it is to play for your nation, but also at the same point in time the valuable experience one gains in going through just a totally different set of pressures, if you will. Zverev, you know, almost a relief that he's not playing Davis Cup now. He's free flight. He's full flight. Uh, picked up uh, really the caliber of tennis that we saw from him in Melbourne before, or actually, you know, after the first three sets of playing Nadal. And Jared, what jumps out at me most here, in France, he beat Chardy, Songa, and Gasquet, three Frenchmen, Perhaps the French were having a little bit of a Davis Cup moment themselves, not being able to back up wins in their home country. Yeah, absolutely. I think that really stood out to me as well, those three consecutive wins against three of the best Frenchmen. Um, Very impressive, all three of them. Uh, But another big result in this tournament that stood out to me right at the top of the draw, Dustin Brown. We know he's capable of these upsets. You never know when they're coming. But to beat Marin Cilic on on a hard court in Europe – um, that one surprised me. Great result for Dustin Brown, but Marin Cilic's number one seed really did not justify that seeding. Um, surprising result for the Croat. I, I'm shocked at that. Um, all credit to Brown for the result, but Jared, as recently as August, uh, Marin Cilic won Cincinnati, Masters 1000. He was playing unbelievable tennis in Cincinnati. Uh, in fact, you know, I asked him point blank uh, one of the matches that I saw him play. He was he, he was crushing everything, and I, I told him I said, you know, in, in the press conference, I said for those 45 minutes in the first set, I, I that was absolutely flawless tennis, and he nodded his head and he said that was probably the best I've ever played. And let's not forget how great he looked in the second week of the U.S. Open when he won the U.S. Open, Jared. He was playing lights out tennis then. He acknowledged that he felt he played even better in Cincy. So, you know, August was not that long ago. Marin Cilic, 2016 Western and Southern Cincinnati Masters champion. To lose to Dustin Brown, um, wow, that's a, a little bit of a free fall, if you will. But as we know, it's a very long season, so uh, I think we're going to see him bounce back. Yeah, absolutely. These events in February sometimes are where we see some of the biggest upsets because um, the motivations may be a little bit low. You're coming off of the high of a major and Davis Cup, and you're kind of getting yourself prepared now for Indian Wells. So it, it's a slow movement towards those bigger events. Um, so sometimes we see some of these big upsets. Uh, no big-time red flags going off yet, but a little bit of a surprise to see Chilich going out early. Um, another result that stood out to me, Daniel Medvedev. Here's a guy that I've been really impressed with of late another one of these young russian players coming up he beat tobias kamka in straight sets and then beat fernando verdasco pretty handily 6-3 6-3 i thought those were two really nice wins for him he ends up losing to sanga uh, who had the home crowd behind him so that was a tough one uh, for medvedev but a little bit of a different question here Th- these russian guys do you have Ro- um, roman safiulin you have andre rublev karen kachinov and daniel medvedev 
who are you picking, Pete, to kind of make it make it the furthest in their career? Who who reaches the highest career ranking in your opinion? Um, good, great question. I know we've talked about Rublev on this show. I'm a little biased toward Kachanov. I still remember what he was able to do in Moscow about three or four years ago, uh, getting to the quarterfinals as as a as an unknown, beating Tipsarovic uh, along the way. I think he beat Alberto Ramos as well. Played Karlovic very tough in the quarterfinal before going out. Um, I'm going to go with, with Kachanov there, but I'm, I'm also saying uh, not enough information with respect to Medvedev. You mentioned the results that he was able to pile up this week. And, Jared, let's not forget um, Davis Cup. He was up on Novak Djokovic 6-3, 3-love, uh, you know, retired in the fourth set of that match, but uh, playing lights out against uh, Novak Djokovic in Serbia. Unbelievable. Uh, I've not yet had a chance to see him play, so I'm uh, I'm only going to give a half-baked answer on that with Kachanov, but uh, I, I'll probably be able to complete that answer once, I, once I've once i seen Medvedev play, but I believe his, his ranking is in the 50s already. Is that correct? Um, I do not have that in front of me right now, but would not be surprised yep. to, to find that out. Um, let's let's move over to it. another event now. Sofia, Bulgaria, home event for Grigor Dimitrov, arguably the hottest player in tennis right now. Is anyone playing better than him? Um, he just reached the semifinals in Australian Open, just won his second title of the year. We've seen him play this well before. It was a couple of years ago, and then it was followed by a big slump. This seems to be a little bit different, though. Just look at the names of the players he beat in this tournament. Jerzy Janovic, Viktor Troitsky, got a little bit of an easy one in the quarterfinals, avoided uh, Dominic Team and got Nicolas Basilashvili. Um, but then in the final, he beats David Goffin. Uh, great win for him. Three really solid wins in there, along with a nice effort in the semifinal against Basilashvili. Um, and his second title of the year. Yeah, he is playing arguably the best tennis of anyone right now. I, I'd have to put Federer in that category as well, only because of what he was able to accomplish. But in terms of day in and day out, I mean, uh, again, Dimitrov's played a ton more matches than Roger Federer has already uh, here in the middle of February this year. So, yeah, I, I would probably give him the nod as far as the hottest player going on right now in 2017 on the ATP Tour. That said, uh, Jared, again, it is a February tournament. It's a smaller tournament played in Bulgaria. The field isn't all that great. Uh, that's taking nothing away from from Grigor Dimitrov and his effort, actually, and what he's able to accomplish. And more importantly, continuing to pile up the wins here in 2017. Is is it possible that uh, he might be putting together a special year? Uh, he's certainly on the right track to that at this point. Yeah, I mean, this is the best start to a season we've seen so far. The pressure is going to come on him now, so it's going to be interesting to see how he backs this up. Um, but a great week for him. On the other half of the draw, you have David Goffin beating Roberto Bautista Agu. 5-7, 6-4, 7-6, wins the tiebreaker in the third set, 7-3. Uh, really good match between those two guys, two of uh, the players that have really come on strong in the last couple of years and gotten themselves into the top 20 trying to make a push now to get into the top 10. Um, what do you make of that matchup between those two guys? Yeah, I go uh, fan, obviously, right right on the doorstep of, of the top 10. And uh, he's got to be disappointed in, in, the, in the loss in the finals as well, uh, Jared. I believe this is his fifth consecutive loss. So, um, 
you know, he's got, let's not forget, he's got semifinal points to defend here in uh, both Indian Wells and Miami. Uh, I attended the match in Indian Wells where he played Stan and beat him. Uh, I think it was uh, a fourth-round match. And, um, you know, credit him for staying the course here, but Stan just played awful tennis. Uh, could not keep the the ball in play. And, you know, that beautiful backhand that Stan has just – just was not working at all on that day, and yet he still and probably should have won the match against Gofan. That's, in my opinion, how much better Stan is than David Gofan. But, um, yeah, uh, Gofan, I think, is going to start feeling the pressure right now, again, with especially what's coming up and, and what he's got to defend in the month of March. What he did last year was unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. And then the third event going on, a new one in Quito, Ecuador, this is the second year of the event, and Dominican Victor Estrella Burgos wins the event. I remember a couple of years ago, he's like 34, is one of the oldest players in tennis history to win a tournament, uh, win his first career tournament. And now yep. after that, he's winning another tournament here in Quito. Uh, just an incredible run, barely gets by his second-round match against Ivo Karlovic, won that one 6-7, 7-6, 7-6. And the third set tiebreaker, he won it 10-8. to eight. Uh, So just barely staying alive there in the second round, basically playing with house money for the rest of the tournament all the way to the title. Uh, what an incredible effort and what an incredible trajectory for his career when you kind of zoom out and look at the big picture. Uh, agreed. And, you know, what, what's going on? I mean, guys playing the best tennis of their life in uh, in their 30s, mid-30s in some cases, and Jared, the the guy he beat in the Quito final, Lorenzi, uh, veteran Italian, I believe he got his first ATP title last year uh, as well. And so things are things are happening, things are working. But you're right about the trajectory of uh, Estrella Burgos. Uh, a wonderful story, um, you know. Re, almost, you know, the, I know this is an ATP show, but uh, Marin Lucic Baroni, you know, 18 years between semifinals and a major. She kept that belief going, knowing what she was capable of. And I, I, I throw that out there because I think some of these guys feel that same way. And, uh, you know, they've been able to, to stay the course and extend their careers. And as we know, and you know, as we've seen, sometimes we'll see a tweet or something that uh, someone who's had some success is, you know, way high up on the career earnings mark. Well, yeah, the, these tournaments' prize money is substantially more each and every year, uh, boy. If I'm if I'm 33, 34 years old, and I, I still have some some gas in the tank and can play some competitive tennis, I'm going to stick around for a little bit longer and 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 make some money and and hopefully, uh, you know, be able to to perform well on the court. And in some cases, these these tournaments in the month of February, Jared, looks like they could be there for the taking for 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 just these scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like your comment about some of these older players. You look all throughout the draw. I mean, you have Rajiv Ram reaching the quarterfinals. Um, Dutra Silva was also in, in the draw. Janko Tipsarovic, former top 10 player, took a wild card and won his first round match. Mm-hmm. Um, so all over the place. And then, of course, you have Ivo Karlovic, the oldest player in, in the top huh. 100, who's who's near his career high ranking. I believe he's just a couple spots behind his career high ranking right now. Um is there something in the game of tennis that has changed recently to allow these players to perform better in your opinion? Well, I, 
I'm not sure about that. I mean, when we talk, we've talked about the young guns, and again, Zverev got a title here, and, and we've got other guys coming up. But as we've said on the show before, Jared, you know, a couple of generations have been skipped, if you will, uh, given the success of the Big Four winning all the majors. And so some of these other younger guys have won these tournaments in February, maybe even snuck out a 500 here or there. But um, uh, the you know the guys who are in their early to mid thirties. They're the same ones who have not been able to win majors uh, against. You know they're getting knocked out in the third or fourth round, or even possibly the round of sixteen at a major. But you know they'll run into Djokovic eventually, or Federer, or Nadal, or Murray, or Del Potro. You know they've put some numbers on the board at a major to even get to that point of the third or fourth round, or even possibly a quarterfinal. They've been around the block more than a few times. They they know how to win these matches to set themselves up. Obviously, the talent level is not there to to beat a big name, but they have what it takes. And as we've as we know and as we've seen, it's a very very fine line between getting a win and getting a loss. That the top guys are getting the job done. We're seeing these guys who've knocked at the door repeatedly, who've just stayed the course. And again, depending upon how the draw falls for them. They're they're playing guys who again are, are in some cases in, in these lost generation versus lost generation guys. Somebody's got to win these things, and I think that's a combination of what we're seeing as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a great commentary. And for those of you who are listening live and and reading through the description right now, going to be wondering um, when Alan Young will be on. It looks like we may not be able to get that to happen tonight. Um, hopefully, we can get him on soon. Uh, but Pete, let's let's just move forward really quickly. Uh, before we wrap up this show, to talk about some of the events going on this week. We have a 500 going on right now in Rotterdam. Marin Chilich in that event, he he beat Benoit Pair to get through the first round. You also have Grigor Dimitrov and Dominic Team, the number two seed. A lot of strong players and what you would expect from a 500. Um, who do you like to come through and make a run in this tournament? Well, before I go there, Jared, uh, again, we just just really hanging on uh, what we had just talked about, some of the results, and granted, you know, we're, we're very early on in this tournament, but what jumped out at me in the first round in particular, four victories, uh, two were by qualifiers, one by a wild card, and one by a lucky loser, and so that, that was really impressive for me, um, uh, the fact that, you know, some of these guys who felt fortunate to even get through is either a qualifier lucky loser or even a wild card we're able to uh to get through and and win i also want to uh talk about a couple more first round results before i i I give you my pick jared uh borna chorich who who again was on the sideline for a a lot of last year uh i saw him in cincinnati jared he on consecutive days uh defeated uh defeated Nick Curio, saved in match point to get that win, then absolutely drummed Rafael Nadal, I think, in about an hour and six minutes before losing to eventual champion Marin Cilic in the next round where he had to retire in the first set. So he beat uh, Karin Kachanov, some of the uh, we just talked about here, uh, in just a little bit uh, with respect to uh, you know what what we thought for the Russians and whatnot, but that was uh, that was big for him to be able to get that. And then one other couple other results I want to talk about: Yevgeny Donskoy. Here's a guy who throws away dozens of match points sometimes in in a, in a tournament in a game. 
uh, in a match, and he was able to outlast Golbus, I think, on his sixth or seventh match point, Jared. How about this line score? Yevgeny Donskoy, 6-7, 5 in the tiebreaker, lost the first set, won the second, 7-6-4, finally defeats Ernestus Golbus, 7-6-10 in the third set tiebreaker. So uh, a really nice uh, opportunity for, uh, for Donskoy to go forward there. Um, my pick in the tournament, I'm actually going to go with Marin Cilic. I think, uh, I think he's tired of some of the sting that he's taken. He's got his hands full in the second round against Borna Cioric. Uh, I think he's going to get the win there, and that's going to give him some confidence. We mentioned the number one seed last week losing to Dustin Brown. I think he's going to correct course here, Jared, and I'm going to throw it back to you. I, I think you know the answer to this question, but uh, who won the Rotterdam 500 last year? Martin Clezon? Yes, sir. One of two 500s last year, right? Yeah, and he already won in the first round. He beat Fernando Verdasco, a 6-4-0-6-6-1 winner, and he'll get Philip Kohlschreiber in the next round. You mentioned a lucky loser getting through. That is none other than Dennis Istaman. Uh The guy hmm. barely makes it into the Australian Open. Um, really, what an incredible story. Then he beats Novak Djokovic, one of the most successful players in the history of the Australian Open, backs that up with another win. Here he is in a 500 as a lucky loser, and he's making the most of it. He's through the first round. We also have another great first-round match coming up. Alexander Zverev and Dominic Team. I actually just remembered this. Uh, when I was at Indian Wells this year, um, I went out to walk around the grounds and see who all was practicing. The practice courts are all packed. Um, but play was done on one of the out, outside courts. I want to say it was like Stadium 8 or something. And so I walk onto the court because I hear, you know, the pop of a ball and I look who's on the court. And it's uh, Dominic Team and Alexander Zverev warming up together. I also remember um, Dominic Team completely whiffed on a regulation backhand. It was, it was pretty oh. funny. Um, but really just those two guys there hitting with each other. And I'm sitting in the stands and there is nobody else there. And it was like I got my own private show to watching Zverev and team hit together. Now they're opponents in the first round at Rotterdam. Team coming off of a disappointing first-round loss in his last event. Alexander Zverev coming off a title. So we, we know team's going to be the more well-rested one here. Zverev's going to come in with a lot of momentum, though. Who do you like to win this one? I, I, I'm going with Zverev here. I, I, again, the the issue, if you will, with team right now is just his scheduling. He's he's playing way too much tennis. Uh, I can't understand that for the life of me. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, you know he's not yet been able to figure this out. But Zverev again, he's got to feel good. Sometimes a guy's tongue will be on the ground with respect to just coming through and winning a tournament. But I think Zverev's feeling pretty good about himself and um, Jared real quick just getting back to Istaman um, I, I want to give him some credit he won two Davis Cup matches for Uzbekistan obviously Davis Cup scheduling right on the heels of Australian Open he went to, and played against Korea and won two but interesting you mentioned the lucky loser Dennis Istaman defeating qualifier Elise Bedin Bedin beat him in qualifying, uh, so they, they rematched for a second consecutive match, and Istaman got the more important of the two at this point. So ironic how that all works out. That's a great catch. I've got to ask Greg Sharko if that's ever happened before in ATP <laughs> history. But you you mentioned Dominic Team playing a lot of tennis. Another guy who plays a lot of tennis, 
particularly this time of year, is Kanishi Corey. It's always been a head-scratcher that he's played the event in Memphis, and I kind of defended him last year for playing Memphis. I said, look, Memphis is to Kanishi Corey as Hala is to Roger Federer. The guy's won it so many times. He's a legend there. Um, keep going back to the event. You're completely dominant. This time he decides not to play Memphis, not to get a break to get ready for any Wells, but instead to go to Buenos Aires to play a clay court event. And uh, he's the number one seed there. But I think this is a really interesting decision. Obviously, Buenos Aires has the money to where every year they kind of go out and pick one top player and pay them a lot of money and bring them in. I'm surprised it's Kane Nishikori this year, though. Usually it's someone, Rafael Nadal, David Ferrer. Uh, Kane Nishikori is a surprise, but good for the tournament. Uh, that, that's a great catch for them. I agree. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me either. You, you sort of stick with familiarity. It's very comfortable for him. Um, almost cruise control, if you will, no disrespect to the field. But, Jared, this decision almost reminds me, or it does remind me, of John Isner playing, you know, all the all the Latin American clay court tournaments last year. That, that really didn't compute. Um, he didn't fare well at all. I mean, obviously he played a number of tiebreakers, but I think he went 0 for 3 in uh, in Latin America, and, and John Isner going going there to play when obviously he's he's an American. He loves playing in the United States. It it just it did not compute. The results weren't there, and uh, I guess you give K. Nishikori some some credit uh, for for trying something different. And as you mentioned, probably getting a very nice payday for doing that, but. I, I sort of, you know, I'm very surprised he's bucking the routine of not playing Memphis. I, I don't kind of ride the good horse until he dies. Uh, you know, keep playing that and winning it until uh, that doesn't happen anymore before you make an alternate decision like he's made there. Yeah, it really is interesting. So you mentioned John Isner doing the flash. I also remember Chase Buchanan and uh, Blas Rolla, former Buckeyes, made the trip down to South America together last year and both had – uh, equally poor results. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kanish Corey make an early exit. You know, he picks up his money for being um, invited to the event and then loses in the first round. Maybe Diego Schwartzman, a good player, no shame in losing to an Argentine mm-hmm. in his home country. Would not be surprised to see an early exit there so he can go get ready for uh, Indian Wells. Um, but, of course, uh, he's got a lot of pride, a lot to play for there as well. So we'll, we'll see what happens as the draw goes on. Also have Pablo Cuevas here, Alexander Dolgopolov, Albert Ramos, who was also in action last week, and David Fuer actually is in the event. So they were able to bring in a, a number of uh, noteworthy players. Yeah, uh, all credit to them. I mean, this is the time of the year in, in South America, Jared, uh, the, the, the month of February, and that's it, aside from uh, a potential or possible Davis Cup tie. So this is this is their Grand Slam. I mean, we can say all we want about Miami being the Grand Slam of Latin America. It's not like someone from Buenos Aires uh, can drive to Miami and, and go to that tournament. Uh, this is, uh, you know, these are in their backyard, closer to them. So even though they're 250s, they're, you know, those are their heroes and, and uh, uh, good for them. And, and nice to see these tournaments be supported and, and some different names getting a chance to go down there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then the third event going on right now, third not because it's the weakest actually this might have the best field even though it's only a 250 compared to the 500 over at Rotterdam is uh, Memphis and we mentioned Kane Shikori's kind of dominated this event over the years um, but this is an event that I always think of as the home for the big servers I remember one of the best finals <laughs> in this event was Andy Roddick 
against Milos Raonic. Uh, those guys right. are two of the best serves in tennis history, of course. Look at the top who the top three seeds are this year. Ivo Karlovic, John Isner, and Sam Querrey. Out of the active healthy players, all you're missing is Milos Raonic, and you have all the best servers in tennis. You also have as a wild card, Riley Opelka. We're going to see some fire bombs at this tournament, some big, big serves. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that. I uh on Sunday at, at the Tempe Challenger, Jared, uh, I was uh catching a, a match and actually Escobedo was uh waiting to get on a practice court and he was talking with someone and I could hear everything that they were saying and someone was talking about that uh that Milos Raonic uh match uh, against Roddick in Memphis. Uh it, it, interesting. I just, you know, was a fly on the wall and was listening to some of that conversation. But I too remember that match very well. Milos had his chances. Roddick uh sort of outlasted him at the at the very end. Uh, was very fortunate to win that. But you're right. I don't know what it is about Memphis and granted the the tournament was a five hundred at that point in time, a two fifty now, but you're right. Opelka by the way, um won the battle of the American wild cards, took out Gerald Donaldson in that first round. And what a nice story out of, uh, from Barbados, Darian King, Jared, Bernie Tomich, four and four, uh, first ATP win for, for King. Great story. But at the same point in time, I, I suppose if you had to pick anyone out of the ATP field that, uh, would, would be on the losing end of such a match, uh, Bernie Tomich would, would be, uh, would be a pretty decent pick. Yeah, unfortunately, that's been the case a little bit for the Australian of late. We see kind of these head-scratching results when he just doesn't have a lot to play for. This is kind of what you can expect for him. He's going to mail it in and um, disappointing there. Also, nice to see Kevin Anderson back in action. Obviously, uh, mentioned big servers. You can't miss Kevin Anderson, but he loses in the first round to Zoomer. Uh, Three-set loss, 6-7-7-6-6-4, Zoomer one. Uh, Good win for him. Um, gets through the second round, but Kevin Anderson still in a little bit of a slump. Got to imagine those physical issues are lingering, a little bit of rust he's having to work off. Um, but hopefully we can see Kevin Anderson back playing at his top level in two or soon. Remember, he just reached the top ten recently for the first time in his career. I want to say it was around this time last year that he did it. Yeah, I, I, always nice to see guys come back after after injuries. So I saw that result uh, again, uh, Zimmer beating uh, Anderson. I, I kind of had to look twice at that result, but again, recalled immediately that Anderson's sort of been on the shelf. So uh, it takes a while to work their way back. And so some of these February events, Jared, I think are, are ideal uh, for those types of scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. And have a lot of Americans in this event. Donald Young defeated Adrian Manorino. Uh, Riley Opelka, we mentioned earlier, he defeated wild card Jared Donaldson, a fellow American. Uh, Donaldson was recently at that Memphis Grizzlies game. Um, And also you got another all-American battle going on right now. Um, Oh, we should also mention Taylor Fritz saving match points to beat Randy Liu. uh, 4-6, 7-6, 7-6 victory. Saved three match points. Um, But the match going on right now is Tim Smichek up 4-3 with a break against Francis Tiafo. Tiafo got the wild card in his event. Tim Smichek had to work hard to get in his event. He went through qualifying, and it looks like that's paying off for uh, Smichek. He's in the early lead in this match. These are these are great. Uh, you mentioned that that draw is stocked with Americans. This this plays right into again. Uh, 
we're going to be leading into the North American Hardcourt, uh, you know, 1000s, Jared Indian Wells, Miami, obviously the 96 draws. Um, we'll see We'll see a lot of the names that you had mentioned here uh, get wild-carded into this uh, main draw at both Indian Wells and Miami. Uh, so good, good for these guys to continue to get match play, get some wins under the belt heading into, and, and you know, some of these – Results, uh, Donald Young taking out Manorino, you kind of look at that and you're like, oh, yeah, uh, they're playing in the United States. So uh, those things do happen, much like, you know, the French guys winning uh, matches that they might not expect to win at uh, Paris-Bercy or, or points elsewhere in, in France um, as well. So home cooking does does a lot of good. And, again, nice nice for these guys to get some wins under the belt heading into the Masters 1000s next month. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at, at one minute, we're kind of criticizing John Isner for going to play these clay court events. That is a strange decision. But the other time we look at the draw here in Memphis, it's packed with Americans beating up on each other, basically. Uh, there's just yep. not a lot of room for these guys to build their ranking, to grow as a player when they're constantly playing against each other. They train together and then they play against each other. Um, it'd be great to see these guys that are trained together then go out to Rotterdam, perhaps and go mm-hmm. play for the biggest prize money points and beat um, some of these non-American guys. I, I don't believe there's a single American in the Rotterdam main draw, yet we're chock full of Americans here in Memphis. Um, I personally, I'd like to see some of these guys go to Rotterdam. Obviously, they want to be close to Indian Wells so that they don't have to make a long trip. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. I mean, if you're if you're in a position to play Rotterdam, if you're if you're a main draw entry, that this is a 500. And uh, again, uh, I've always maintained that you, your short your shelf life is very short as a tennis player. Uh, you, you mentioned you know beating up on each other, even going to Rotterdam to to play qualifying. Um, let's get, let's get out of our element a little bit. You know, once uh, once the month of March is over, Jared. You know that. If you're a tennis player, you're you're in Europe uh, really from early April all the way until uh, you know uh, conclusion of Wimbledon, and so that's a long stretch. Um, your life is on the road as a tennis player. I I would uh, by all means I'd go to Rotterdam and, and try and either qualify or if I'm good enough in the main draw to to play that and uh, good experience for them. But you mentioned it's it's a 500 as opposed to a 250. I remember one year, and we talk. Uh, you know, Sam Query went out and played at the Monte Carlo Masters 1000s. He won a couple of matches and then never went back. And it was surprising and head scratching that he got the wins. But it's sort of like, okay, you know, what? Uh, why don't you ever go back? Well, it, it, again, they're out of their element. These guys want to stay home and stay close. But as you mentioned. You know, it could be a one-and-done for, for some of these guys like it was for Gerald Donaldson against Opelka. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and obviously we have the Tiafoe-Smichek uh, match going on right now. So we're, we're going to wrap it up uh, so that we can go go back and watch that match. I know I want to watch that. I'm sure you do too. Yep. Um, but before we go, any just closing thoughts? Hopefully we'll be able to get Alan Young onto the show sometime soon. Um, but, yeah, any closing thoughts, Pete? Well, this uh, again, uh, we are going to have the uh, president CEO Alan Young of the Arizona Sports and Entertainment Commission on. Uh, we'll get a rain check from him, but this is the governing body, uh, Jared, that is responsible for the brand new 
75,000 challenger, Tempe challenger on the campus of Arizona State University. Uh, I was there in qualifying Saturday and Sunday. Uh, again, Nicholas Jerry was the standout for me. Luke Bambridge from the Great Britain as well. And then being able to see Escobedo hit, that was nice. Um, I, the semifinals are this Saturday. The finals are Sunday. We're actually looking at uh, weather in the low 60s and some rain forecast for both days, which it's Arizona. It's the month of February. People think it's always 80, 85 degrees all the time, but uh, we do have a rainy season as well. So uh, we might have some weather here coming up on that. But um, I'll just go back to uh, repeat the fact that, you know, USTA Pro Circuit Director Brian Early was on site gave a big thumbs up with respect to what's happening in Tempe, um, everything that's uh, in place, that's implemented, it's underway. And, again, the fact that this this event was not even on the schedule or even conceived in the month of November, uh, it just got underway. And, um, again, to I, I look forward to having Mr. Young on the show to ask how this uh, all came about and learning how exactly uh, that did go. But, uh I look forward to watching live tennis again uh, very soon, uh, as soon as this weekend in Tempe. Yeah, absolutely. And so that will do it for this episode of Replay the Point. For Pete Zebron, I'm Jared Pine, and we're saying have a good night.